It was one of the strangest environments I've ever been in because everybody working there was either aspiring like medical students, like college kids who wanted to go to med school. Yeah. Or full blast gang members. Okay. And I can tell you, I did not spend my lunch breaks with the med students. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Stephen, we're recording this on December 17th, which is a special day in my family. Is it the day when the new phone books come in? Maybe, but I don't know. It's Okay. I have been married for 16 years now. Oh, man. 16 years, almost half your life. No, not really. <laughs> oh. That'll be a good Well, that's great. That'll be a good anniversary when I've been married longer than not married. Yeah, that will be good. H- have you gotten there? No. Okay. My wife made me a little book of all the note cards that people wrote at our wedding and oh. gave it to me this morning. And you wrote me a note in there. Oh, yes. It was pretty cool. I was like, that was one of the, I said, who has impeccable handwriting and writes in all caps? It's either Stephen or my dad. And it was your note. I'm sure that my dad also put a note in there, but um, I just read your note this morning. And how'd it go? It was great. Amelia said, you know, our friends mostly wrote stupid stuff in our book, but a few of them went deep. Gave it a shot. And um, I mean, it was it was an emotional roller coaster reading those notes. <laughs> there's people, yeah. there's a an unfortunate number of people who wrote notes in that book who are no longer with us and oh, wow. all sorts of stuff like that. So lots happens in 16 years. Yeah, that's right. Well, congratulations. Happy anniversary. I always, I, I, I like the anniversary because I like to tell somebody, listen, my, my mother always says, uh, you don't have to do anything to have a birthday, but having an anniversary requires some effort. So I like telling people on their anniversary, listen, for whatever toils and snares you have gone through or avoided you you continue to honor a covenant and that is part of the community of faith so like you're helping to raise the water level for the other boats and i appreciate that so here's to anniversaries that's great excellent what's new in cincinnati well this will be uh published uh after the new year but it is the christmas season around us right now so i'm going to ask you this question which will be followed up by a hot sports opinion of mine okay if someone drives by the outside of your house would they have reason to look at it during the christmas season and believe that you know who the lord and savior is this is, I mean, this this is a dangerous question. It could lead to 10 minutes of banter because I've got a story behind this, but... Oh, here we are. I mean, we've got 10 minutes. You had a dream about that involved Christmas lights a few years <laughs> ago. Yes. And 
you were like, I think the Lord is pleased when we make much of this, this holiday. <laughs> yes. Um, and I just took, took that as marching orders and got myself a nice illuminated star to put in the window. Ooh. Um, okay. and one string of lights because I used to do more and I was like, I will for this will be the end of my life will be hanging these lights because it was like three stories up hanging okay. over the roof. So now I just have one string and I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that string of lights did not come down between Christmas of 2020. <laughs> oh my word. And, but one, one pathetic string of lights. Yeah, and however. A star hung on, on the inside of the house in the window. However. Uh -huh. You've been to my house. You know that massive tree that can be seen from a mile away yes, in front yes. of our yard. Uh -huh. We got a quote about four weeks ago to have that thing in the words of these sad sack Christmas <laughs> lights guys that were working outside a neighbor's <laughs> house when my wife was out on a walk and asked them to swing by. They said... Well, that, that'd be the biggest job we'd ever done in Utah, and we, we'd be happy to light that tree up for you. Oh. It would be like 150 strands of light in that tree. Now, we could not do it this year because of a water main break that took okay. all of the excess budget, but we're on the calendar. Okay. Next year, we're going to have the biggest lit tree potentially in the Salt Lake City metro area. <laughs> Uh, okay, so people might, they might put you on their holiday map. They might want to come by and see it. And if they do, we need something there to say, this is, this is the, the reason for the season. Uh-huh. Like yes, yes. an inflatable Jesus, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, not yeah, that. yeah, whatever, uh, whatever. Something. So I'm excited about this, but I'll tell you, I'm getting a, a on the grading scale, I'm getting maybe a C minus D plus right now. Okay. Uh, and I'm angling for at like an extra credit. You know, my daughter told me the other day she got 110 on a quiz and I said, that, right. that's impossible, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do next year. So okay. So talk to me. So the, the tree trunk itself is quite a, a, a piece of real estate. I, I'm wondering if they could outline the word, Jesus coming down the tree trunk if they're gonna if they're gonna be lighting this thing up in unbelievable splendor Since we're a financial podcast, I gotta zoom back out for a second. Okay, what do you think? Becoming a spectacle for the city at Christmas time would be worth to you in dollars interesting Interesting because this is not a cheap undertaking. I'm just gonna tell you that Okay, so you're telling me they're going to put it up and then they would take it down at the end of the season. It's going to be up for five weeks at the most. Yes, and it's double the cost in year one because you got to buy all the lights and they last for four years. That's a bummer. He says he guarantees them for four years. He says the boxes say they last for a lifetime. He said that's crap. Yeah, that's not true. Okay. If I thought that what I am making is so significant that I think people might travel three miles to see it. And I think that maybe over the course of five weeks, we might have 500 people who would look at this thing. 
then I might consider that if I was going to go super Jesus-y, which I would, I might consider that putting that in my um, giving budget and I might want to put 1500 bucks toward that. So if it was substantially more than that, it would <laughs> cause you pause. It would cause me pause. Yes. Okay. Unless, I mean, let's blow it out. Let's say your, the front of your house was like the, the video that, what was the video that like, the, there was like the, what's that Manhattan steamroller that does all of the like outrageous Christmas music with electric guitars and, uh, and, and, and it was like, it, it had speakers out front and there were, and like the, if you came and looked at this spectacle with the roof and the yard and the, the dangling lights, it was the freaking gospel was revealed in the light. And it's so incredible that it's on the local news and people want to come to your house to see this thing. Okay. Now, hold on a second. Now, now we're getting up to seven, $8,000 that I might spend on that thing. And if we could crank that thing up every year and it became a place and you can't, you'd come for the spectacle, but what you'd get when you saw the spectacle is you'd get this person loves Jesus. This person is freaking sold on the Bible stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I might. Okay. Yeah, I might. I might be convinced. So, just the tree, and we're not, not talking. Not one tree. Not one tree. No, no. But I'm telling you, I'm yeah. gonna give you the reveal. Okay. Just the tree, and it, we're not talking wrapped to the degree where you could make a word in the trunk. Um, just that tree, which we're creates. Talking we're the talking the, the outdoor mall treatment of a tree where there's you kind of going up the trunk a little bit. It's in, as you said, 150 strands in the branches. Each branch would be wrapped. So it's it's going to look like a tree. It's not like we're just going around the yeah, outside. Yeah. With okay. Year one, $2,750. In subsequent years... $1,000 per year. Okay. So, I don't know. <laughs> I have I have about 11 months to make a decision if this is reasonable. Okay. But my thought is I can get myself a big piece of plywood and cut out some <laughs> some uh nice like painted uh-huh. we got a message and we're going to light it up in front of our our display tree. Right. I can I can do what I want on some of that real estate, but I think you're right. Full home craziness. I, I think you could spend twenty five thousand dollars on something yes, like that. Yes, you probably could. I talked to these lights guys, and they told me if I hired the company that they were working for that day instead of going through them directly, it would probably be five grand for the tree. Wow. So you, I don't know what you're pursuing sounds. Um... Um, expensive and underwhelming. If uh, oh. what they're going to deliver you is one tree, I don't know, man. You think, think it's, it's going to be, be impressive? I think it would be like if it became a thing, it would be like everyone has to come by this tree every Christmas time. Okay. Because there's a couple others that are done that way that we go by specifically because they're like, oh, we got to go check out there. Right. And 
when I started describing this to people, they said, well, have you seen the one that's down by the cemetery? And I was like, yeah. Do you know that this would have twice as many strands on it? And (laughs) wow. So I'm like, I'm like, we might be usurping the current neighborhood attraction. Yeah. Okay. All right. If it becomes a city landmark, we're in different waters for sure. I don't know. It's just, I think because of COVID maybe, I don't know, the the city normally puts a massive Christmas tree that you can see from my front door yes. in the little town square. It was about the size of my Christmas tree this year. It was like, this is the saddest thing. Oh, they should have just... That's awful. So I don't know. Maybe people aren't making much of Jesus' birthday this okay. year. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm making my way to my point. Okay. So so let me ask, I got another question for you. So I know that the, the current answer is no, that, that if people were incredibly biblically literate, they might find the star in your window and that would remind them of the star that led the Magi to, to Bethlehem. Actually, I don't know that Jesus was in Bethlehem when the star actually led the Magi. He was probably had moved on from there. But okay, here's my next question. Let's consider um, parks, um, divided roads that have decor in them in, in your little local town centers, etc. cetera. Um, the, the city center. Um, are there any in your Mormon infested town? I don't even know how the Mormons feel about the nativity. Are the, are the Mormons excited about the nativity? They are. Okay. So, in your city, are there nativity scenes in public places? In public places, I would say, I don't think so. Okay. But but it's because we're in Utah, there's a strange blur between public and private. Uh-huh. You've got the ward houses that are like the local meeting homes or the local meeting buildings. Basically, if you weren't here, you'd think, oh, that's just a church house. Those do have nativities. There's even a living nativity at one of them. Holy so that, that's a thing. Okay. Well, I'll, th- I'll throw this in as, as an observation of mine. Forgive the grousing. We, we are an increased, increasingly secular nation. Up until, let's see, I've lived in Cincinnati about 20 years. Up until two or at most three years ago, in the public square, right down the street from where I am now in Hyde Park, in the public square, there would be on, let's say, the 20, 21st, 22nd, 23rd of December, there would be a, they would shut down the square. There would be carol singing, public carol singing. And there was a nativity that was there from mid mid-November until the, the new year, a, a sort of four-foot-tall nativity scene in the public square. That is gone. Um, and I now observe that things that would... T- even the word Christmas, I mean, this is not news to anybody, but the word Christmas is decreasingly used. The word holidays is, has, is replacing the word Christmas and there being any reference point that what all of the hoopla is about has anything to do with the advent, the coming of the Savior, is increasingly rare. So it saddens me, when I, and this is what got me to my first question, it saddens me how many 
Christian homes that I go to and I go, well, you know, here's a, this is a brother that lives in this home and I drive up to their home and they have de- decor out front. There's all the lights. There's, in, there's your inflatables. So we're crazy about the inflatables, aren't we? But the, all the inflatables are either the abominable snowman or Santa is Santa usually gets top billing. And I think um, that seems that seems crazy to me. Maybe, maybe I'm just super religious, but I'm I feel like the, the minimum for our homes should be a star, a star that's very high up and where your eye is drawn upward to the star best case scenario would be we have the holy family and we go hey this is this is what the hoopla is for and we have we could drive to all the christian houses in the town and go these people all believe that this is what this season is all for and so the 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 sort of denuding of religious importance from the hoopla that we are actively participating in but we don't want it to be about Jesus. We just want hoopla yeah. in front of Christian houses. Seems, seems sad and silly to me, Bo- both sad and silly. I'm thinking that, you know, if people have been listening, they've heard us talk before about the ability of a child to, if they have earned income, contribute to a Roth IRA. Yes. And I'm thinking... What if I took this tree money, this excessive tree money, and I used it instead as hourly wages for a living nativity <laughs> where every day from the hours of 6.30 p.m. until 8 p.m., oh my word. I just made my three daughters stand out there and we had like a Joseph, a Mary, and a sheep. Oh and uh, they just stood there in the snow and cold. That, that might be would, a better use. That would be amazing. <laughs> Can you come to youth group this week? No, my dad makes us stand outside the house every night during Christmas. We hate we hate Christmas at our yes, house. Yes, he pays us hundreds of dollars, however. And then your only startup cost is you've got to have a, a wooden shed of some kind. You could buy muslin fabric for robes and a couple of spotlights, and you're done. Yeah, and a manger. Well, I okay. Some there hay, are, some hay bales. Are, yeah, hay bales. If we had a real sheep, that would add cre- credibility. Oh, it would. People would come to, just to see the sheep. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me take this opportunity, as long as we're spending too much time on this subject. I'll just throw out that in Cincinnati, the okay, the, the, there's, a, there's an insurance company called Western and Southern. And Western and Southern is known because they sponsor the the big uh, tennis uh, tournament that here. The Western and Southern tournament is the final U, uh, USTA tournament before the U.S. Open every year. So the Western and Southern of Cincinnati is a big deal event, and all of the pros come. It's their warm-up before the U.S. Open. Western and Southern also, I did not know this, Christian family owned business. And since the year, oh, I believe since the year 1919, they have paid for a sort of live nativity. It's a, it is a full-sized barn that you walk into 
there are live animals in this barn and a like mannequin family that I think a couple of nights a year is replaced with actual humans. But the family is sort of mannequin and all the animals are live and it's lit up and it's right by our, our famous crone conservatory um, uh, in Eden Park. And and it's it's on it's on park land. And there's a huge sign out front that says, keep Christ in Christmas and Western and Southern has paid for this thing to happen every year for 60s. I don't know, 80, whatever the years is. And I'm amazed. I'm delighted. And I just saw that for the first time like a week ago and thought, holy smokes, this is this is tremendous. So give it up for Western and Southern. That's awesome. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about the topic du jour. Okay, let's do that. We're talking about training kids um, financially so that your kids would have financial skills. Uh, the first week, we kind of talked about why, why is that important? Why would you do that? The second week, we kind of talked ad hoc about some strategies that we've used. And um, I'd like to uh, take this third week. I'm going to re- kind of readdress it. And I'm, trying to, I'm going to walk through things. Uh, I'm going to walk through opportunities in a little bit more of an orderly fashion than I did uh, previously. And then you can sprinkle in your thoughts as we go. So one thing I found that interested me is that T. Rowe Price has a annual survey that they, that they uh, conduct and it's on parents, kids, and money is, is this survey. So I find this interesting to, to collect this data. Here's some, here's some stuff they found out. This is an important thing for our people. Half of parents, a little, just a little uh, more than half, half of parents are uncomfortable talking with their children about money. So there's this huge vacuum of who will talk to children about money. Um, over half of the kids, I don't know if there was the same, same uh, group of kids, but over half of the kids surveyed wished that their parents taught them more about money. So there's, again, there's this vacuum of not speaking and wanting speaking. So at the very least, everybody that listens to us could address this problem and say, not in my house. Uh, we're going to be a place that talks about money. And if the neighborhood kids come in here, we're going to talk to them about money. And if the school friends come in, we're going to talk to them about money. And this is a place where, where these things are going to be discussed. The, the top discussed issues that parents do talk to their children about are, you could probably guess these saving, spending, and earning. Those are the top, top discussed issues the least discussed issues, the, 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 mo- the, the least discussed issue is concerning markets and volatility, trying to understand how those things work. Long-term investing is not talked about. And long-term goals like saving for college or a car are not discussed as well. Um, Okay, that, that kind of makes me rub my hands together and go, well, we could do something about that. We, 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 we must address these kind of issues with our kids. Um, 
a really interesting data point from this survey that jumped out at me is that 85% of parents would be willing to enroll their kids in a financial literacy course. So they feel this need that their kids have most, most likely because of the pain that they have endured in their own lives because they didn't, they, they didn't make good decisions about finances. And they think, my kids need this. I'm kind of uncomfortable talking to them about it, but I wish they could have some literacy. So I'm going to throw out an idea here to you, Mark, live on our podcast. Maybe something will come of it someday. But here's okay. an idea. What if Abraham's wallet were to furnish families with a, say, 10-week family devotional Bible study that all centered around financial literacy in your home so that you could see what the scriptures say about various topics. We could get some discussion going. We could have some practical, hey, let's do this together. And by the end of this 10 weeks, you could, you know, take your, I don't know, six to 12 year old kids and put a big check in the box. We have talked about what the Bible has to say about the, the big, the big stones regarding financial literacy. Wouldn't that be Man, sweet? It would. I get requests all the time from people who know what we do. That's like, Hey, can you just get, I'm supposed to give a talk at my church about money stuff. And you guys think about it all the time. Could you give me the, the quick hits? And I'm like, uh, I guess read the whole blog because I don't I don't know how to boil it down in a text, but I think that would be really useful for yeah. us. Yeah, it would, it would make our lives easier if you did the <laughs> thousand hours of work that would be required <laughs> to produce an excellent course for families or youths about the the Bible and money. Well, you put together a course uh, called Kingdom Money years ago, which I thought checked a lot of those boxes. Is that do you send that that deck along to people that ask you that question? No, but that's a good idea. We could easily turn that that deck into some kind of standalone thing for families as well. But maybe we should talk about this offline. But anyways, that was one idea I had that kind of excited me to think what why wouldn't we furnish families with this this tool? Um, okay, uh, I'll just make this point um, about financial uh, training for your children. We haven't said this. I'm just going to, you, you could have picked this up from what we've said in previous weeks, but uh, I, I'm going to just say it on the nose. The sooner the better to start training them. The, the younger the better. Um, a lot of the research suggests that Children's attitudes about money have been formed, have been, that is past complete, have been formed by age seven, by which, by which time they have developed attitudes. And let me ask, let me ask this question from whom, where did they develop these attitudes about money? Well, if you're one of those families who go, I would love to enroll my kid in financial literacy, but I'm nervous to talk to them about them then I can all but assure you that the attitudes that they have formed are not biblical. They, they didn't come from a godly source. It's what they picked up watching TV and commercials, which means their attitudes are worldly and they've not been informed by God. So, hey, everybody, I'm, feel, me, feel me squeezing your shoulders 
as I, as I, as I have a steely smile on my face going, you really need to work on this, Howard. It's time for you to do this with your children. Um, I, I want the way that our children think about money to not only be um, biblical, to not only have the undergirding of what my godly father and godly mother uh, think and how they live uh, on these principles. But I even want these things, and I'm going to talk about this in a second. I want these things to be in agreement with your family vision. I want them to think about money in terms of the way our family lives uh, in agreement with what we feel God has said about our family to us. So that's it for me in, in way of introduction. And then I've got like 11 teaching opportunities I want to hit. So is there anything burning on your chest to say at this point? No, let's, uh, let's dive in. I'll see if I can also have some, some tips for the listeners. All right. Well, I've got 11 that I just thought if I can get through these in this episode, I'll be happy. Okay. There are teaching opportunities all around you. Ready? Number one. Oh no. I'm trying to think of what, what are the simplest lowest hanging fruit that you can simply do to start getting your children literate and fluent in, in the world of money. So here's just one that came up, came to mind, figuring up discounts on sale prices. So once your kids get, get to be, I don't know, six, seven, eight, and then they're interested, well, I wanted to buy this thing. And hopefully you tell your children in the store, we don't have room in the budget for that. We can't afford that. We're not buying that. By the way, that's a really great phrase for you to use with your children. We can't afford that is a really great phrase to use with the kids. No is fine too. No works. But if you want to educate them, we can't afford that or that's not in the budget is even better because it, it produces a broader thinking about why can't we get that again? Because it's not in the budget because we have this much money towards, I don't know, clothes for you. And we, we've, we spent that already. Um, so figuring up discounts on sale prices, this is something that I do with my kids. Now they're, they are 10 and 12 and, um, we walk through the math of how sale prices, how sale prices can affect something. Well, if they're saving for something, which I'll get to in a second, they're very interested in that because it moves the the get date much closer when there's a sale price. So just walking through that math. Um, similarly, my second Dose. thing is figuring up tip, tip amounts. Usually dad gets the bill. Conversation continues elsewhere in the table. Dad takes care of it or mom fold up the magical wallet, you hand it back to the waiter and you proceed. But it would be very helpful for your children for them to see the bill, let them gawk at what, how much it costs to take your family to dinner. Then walk through now we're tipping and here's how we do the math to that. That would be great for them. That was my second idea is just figuring up the tip amount together. Um, number three, discuss saving value for long-term goals like cars. You mentioned this, Mark, um, how, how your kids are already thinking of the, the long-term goal of buying a car. That's also, that's the big, that's the big boulder that I've put out way in the future for my kids, which is, Hey, if you'll earn a lot and save a lot now, you're going to get a better car when you're, when you're young and you're very interested in how that goes for you and you'd be very embarrassed getting the hand-me-down car and they want something nice. 
So discussing the saving value for a long-term goal, just to take the time with your, I don't know, 10, 12, 15-year-old even, and go, if we save this much now, here's what it should grow to. Um, If we had this much now, it could grow to this. If we were saving from age five, this same amount would grow to this. And for them to just see that growth and how it changes the end end goal, wonderful thing. Number four, just a tip here, use cash so that your kids can see money working. And I mean that I'm I'm thinking particularly of of young, young kids so they can see here's a twenty dollar bill. I got three ones and four coins back. The more times they could see that transaction and and make it work in their brain, the better it it would help them. Can I can I interject here? Just yes. The kids are just loving these tips, Stephen. They're piling up, but. I've got one for the parents. Okay. Have you gotten a notification from like Venmo or PayPal or anything in the last few weeks that says we need your social security number now? No. Well, starting January 1st, this new law has been passed that allows all of these payment tools to track any purchase that you make over $600. It used to be $10,000 and report report yeah. that to the IRS. I heard Nancy Pelosi wants to wants to see what I'm where my yes. money's going. We're not going to get into that right now, but I will say <laughs> that suddenly I think you're going to see a lot more cash being being transacted. Um, right. You know, I, I have people who are currently working in my house that have asked, could you just switch the payment from Venmo to cash? Makes sense. We definitely are not condoning any form of tax evasion. However, it might be interesting to start carrying some cash with you. That's all I'm saying. I like it. You're going to have opportunities to do this in 2022 that you did not have in 2021 because you never carry yeah. cash you s- silly credit card only venmo user yeah that's right Cinco. number five show kids receipts on everything and you could start this at age three simply look we bought this toy i'm just going to show you this let's look at the numbers that this means that this cost this much that's it just make that a habit I'm just showing receipts. We're just talking through every single time you're with me at the grocery store, I'm showing receipts and it just develops fluency in them. And uh, you could go all sorts of places talking through a receipt and applying that to budgets, et cetera. But just, I just think that's a, that's a helpful little tip. Show kids receipts. Okay. Number six, Seis. games, playing games with your kids. Um, from what I read, and I'm familiar with these games, but I'd never seen anybody compare them. But I, uh, from what I saw, Payday would be, is considered, is widely considered the best game for teaching kids uh, valuable money management skills. So you've got, you know, you've got a paycheck that's coming a month away and you have to make your money last and you can purchase items that'll make you a profit in, in this game. You can take out loans and and but but over leveraging and getting in over your head can create problems especially when they've got other bills to pay and if that sounds like your life it is your life which is why payday is a really helpful game um 
Monopoly, of course, a lot of people think of Monopoly um, uh, with with uh, working with money because it can yield important lessons as well with participants choosing which properties uh, to, to buy or they have which strategy will yield the biggest payoffs and you have to measure your risk versus your reward with the moves that you make. And I, I have a couple of um, nephews who are older now getting into their 20s. These were guys who were it was comical because they would cream everyone in the house, regardless of their age, every time Monopoly was played. Every time they creamed everybody. And these guys are already accruing small fortunes as young men in their 20s because they applied those they applied those lessons. I mean, I remember having conversations with them going, does it really work this way? Yes, it really works this way. If you can buy a small house for an investment property, you can eventually buy a larger house for an investment property. You could eventually buy apartment building for investment property, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they're doing those things. Um, I'll also just throw in a, a game that we have. Um, Robert Kiyosaki developed a game called Rat Race, which we played with the kids early on, and we like it because it. it um, if you've ever read Robert Kiyosaki, his whole deal is what kind of income is is good income he would he would say so it kind of shows you well here's how here's how earning income would affect you here's how um um commissions on on equities uh would affect you here's how if you own a rental property then you get to you know use some of that money and you get a tax advantage et cetera et cetera so i i like i like rat race too particularly if you're I don't know, wanting to teach your 20-year-old kid um, money stuff, um, rat race is, is great, too. So I'll throw, that, I'll throw that out. That's number six, games, okay? Siete. My number seven tip would be put money into your children's hands. Now, you might have to, to make decisions about how old they are and what you think they can handle, but I'm going to give five examples of putting money into your kids' hands. So we've already discussed that earning money, earning money is, is the best way to put money into their hands. And uh, Mark, you described uh, last week that you, you do a kind of reverse, um, 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 what do we call that thing where you pay kids money? Allowance. Allowance. Um, so that it's a, it's connected to these tasks, and if they don't do the tasks, then their allowance numbers go down. <laughs> Quick um, update on that front. <laughs> go ahead. I have a middle child who's just the spicy one of the crew, and on Monday of this week, she told me, yeah, I said, Esther, your bed's not made. Like, I've made your bed already this week. What's going on? She's like, I've just decided I'm okay with you making it. So you don't know. I'll, I'll cover the cost. And so we had a law, a very intense Frank discussion about that not being an option. So, Oh, that is hilarious. My, my oldest is like, Oh, well I can't lose 50 cents. I got to do all the things. My middle oh, sure, one's like, sure, yeah, sure. I think I'm going to outsource this and I'll hope that the welfare state will cover me. That is terrific. Go ahead. Um, so we have we have said this, um, but earn, earning money, so however you work that, um, let your kids earn the money, and then put it into the three pots that that we've described. The, that being saving, giving, and spending. So 
there, there's ways I'm, I'm just reviewing here that we've talked about them earning money. One, my, my opinion is that there should be regular work that your child does as just being a part of the family. So you're part of the family, you contribute to things. These are the jobs that you must do regularly. Um, there are optional chores that you can do to earn money around here. For me, that those are, those are standing chores that you can, I, I mentioned the uh, chore chart that we have, and there's standing opportunities. If you want to dust the house and make three bucks or whatever that is worth on our chore chart, knock yourself out. Um, you can make that money. Um, and then as you described, Mark, larger projects for bigger pay. And those would be occasional things that, you know, we need, we have to, at my house, we have, um, we have decorative grass on the side of the house. It has to be chopped down going into the winter. So that would be a, this is a seasonal, occasional project. I would love to not do that. And I would be willing to pay more money than three bucks to, to get that done. An idea, I know this is, be, you got to make this be age appropriate, but when you hire people to do work around your house, say giving someone thousands of dollars to put lights on a tree in the front of your house, then involve your child in that process and show them, here's how much they're charging for that. Gosh, that seems like a lot of money. I'm not sure. What should we do? Let's, why don't we call another company and see what they would charge for the same thing and just make them part of that process that would help that would help educate them to just see well here's what you know we got to chop down the old tree in the back of the house or we got to get some plumbing work done and just let them become fluent in those things by seeing you at work second one is um, vacation money how to put and again this is under the heading of put money in your kids hands so uh, you went to Disney recently. We both went to Disney in this past year. And you know, before you go to Disney, that the kids are going to want some crap. That's Disney has created their parks to be a concession machine and a tchotchke machine. So you know that's going to happen. And you might have thought in the back of your head, I hope you did, what you would and wouldn't spend on not incidental um, nonsense throughout the day. No. No, no. I just went and I said, anything you guys want, guys, this is just a you. special, this is the most That's magical. Wonderful. No, of course I told them you can buy one thing and I'm not, it's not going to be nice. And right. Good luck. <laughs> so an idea, this serves my point of putting money into your kid's hands would be if you had decided uh, we're going to be there two days i'm willing to spend 40 bucks on whatever on each kid's incidental they're, they're going to get inspired they got to have this thing that they've never seen before i'm i'm that number for me is 40 bucks i would encourage you put the 40 bucks in their hand at the beginning of the thing and go here's your money I'm going to buy food for everybody, but incidental stuff that you want, this is it. This is the beginning and they're going to go $40. Whoa. And then they're going to realize I, there are, this won't buy you a sweatshirt. <laughs> this, this will buy you some t-shirts and this is very limiting. So you'll have to decide how you use it. But in that little window, your kid has a little budget that they got to work with. At Disney, while we were there, they were fighting 
uh, the deadly COVID. And so $40 (laughs) of cash would buy you nothing. You couldn't buy a stamp with that at Disney while we were Oh, no cash. I see. So would you just give your kids the credit card and say, well, kids, I guess just spend whatever you want because we don't have to pay for it for like 60 days. Uh, Well, this takes me to my next point which is I do believe that using cash as much as possible when your kids are young helps them to see how it works. Then you can wean off of that. You can use credit cards, but you're still showing them receipts. So they see that the credit card does the same thing as the cash does. They see that it produces the same. Well, I got a receipt. We paid this much money. Well, how did, how did that card produce the dollars that I've seen? Well, you, you, you can make that transition. So, okay, let's talk about a cashless place. Um, I, I found these products that I think are really cool. There's a couple of, there's a couple of um, products called Greenlight One's called Greenlight, and one is called FAMZOO, F-A-M-Z-O-O, FAMZOO and Greenlight. These are debit cards that are controlled by parents, but that give the kids a little, the feeling of, uh, you know, I've got this, I, I got this card, it has this much money on it. And I can go operate on the Visa network with this thing. So they've got a little credit card with their name on it. And here's a little, I'm getting ahead of myself, but while I talk about Greenlight and FAMZU, you'll, you'll like this, Mark. These products have, we talked about the bank of dad, where we make up an interest rate on our kids' savings and we just give it to them. FAMZU and Greenlight have what is effectively the bank of dad on it. Oh, wow. If your kid, if you give your kid, there's $100 on your Greenlight card, and this is your money for the next month. If they have the cojones to say, I'm going to put $40 of that into savings, you could have determined previously that's going to give you a 12% interest rate of return. You, you could just decide that. And you, these things are related to your bank account, of course. So you could, you could do that with your, with your kid's account. So Greenlight and FAMZU um, are, are debit cards with parental control. Again, this is all under my number seven, which is put, not put money in your kids' hand, hands. Um, I wanted to throw out un, underneath this, as soon as they're old enough, encourage and even mandate. I really believe like this should be a part of your family culture. Mandate part-time jobs. I, I, I think this is a huge formation opportunity that while a kid is under your roof, they start having their own money that you didn't have anything to do with, but you're coaching them on managing that money. Um, so just make the expectation of part-time jobs, uh, make that part of your, your family culture. When there's older uh, teenagers that, that come across your world, they're in your church or they're friends of yours and they have part-time jobs, praise them in front of your kids for, for those part-time jobs. That's great that you're doing that. And are you saving for something? You're asking them while you're punching your kid in the ribs. Are you saving for something? What are you doing with that money? Oh, wow. And do you get to go out to eat, you know, wherever you want, whenever you want, and just kind of play that up as being a, um, a desirable thing for your kids. What what was your, what was your first part-time job, Mark? My first one, I think, like formal employment. I don't know. I think it was when I was 15, which is 
probably too late, but I worked at the hospital. Uh, I wanted, I thought I wanted to be a doctor when I grew up and our neighbor was the head of surgery at Presbyterian hospital of Dallas. And he said, well, you can go clean operating rooms. Oh my. And so I started out legitimately mopping blood after surgeries. And I did that for three years all in by the end I was like holding stuff during surgeries. It was pretty cool, but that was my first part-time job. I imagine you after some grisly surgery, mopping up blood with a tear rolling down your cheek. Well, I guess little Marky's all grown up now. I would, I would imagine that being traumatic. It was one of the strangest environments I've ever been in because everybody working there was either aspiring like medical students, like college kids who wanted to go to med school. Yeah. Or full blast gang members. Okay. And I can tell you I did not spend my lunch breaks with the med students. <laughs> they, they were not, not the, the most int- colorful characters. They, they were not the interesting people uh-huh. of those two options. I was, I'll never forget Stanley who kind of introduced me to a lot of things I had never come across at Trinity Christian Academy. Lovely. Uh, for me, I believe, um, I think I was 12 when my cousin Bobby, um, had a demolition job in, in his small town of Beedies, Texas, and told me you can come live with my family during the summer and over a three-week period, I'll pay you $200 if you swing a sledgehammer and help me destroy this house. And uh, that was a great experience. And then I remember me and my old friend, Chris Havard, when I was 13 or 14, we worked in the church cafeteria, went to a large Baptist church that had a Wednesday night meal. And we washed dishes in the back of the church cafeteria with the big Hobart machine. And we worked about four hours maybe and i remember we made 10 bucks uh, uh per wednesday night and it was ten dollars cash a crisp pop pop ten dollar bill we would walk out with it was pretty sweet sweet deal okay <clears throat> my my last where this is going slow isn't it my last thing in putting money into kids hands is having them contribute to sizable purchases Um, That's very helpful for a kid. It's kind of like them seeing a sale price. Well, it's on sale. We could get it now with your savings instead of waiting for the time. Well, listen, I could buy you the, um, you talked about your knockoff Payless shoes when, for the pump, when the pump came out. Yes. Um, I remember, I remember distinctly that I wanted these tennis uh, shoes that Nike made that Andre Agassi wore. And I remember telling my parents, these are the shoes I, I have to have. And my, uh, I remember my mother saying, we've got, I don't know what it was. We've got 30 bucks towards shoes for you. I remember distinctly, these were $85 shoes, outrageously expensive in, in that age. And my mom said, we've got 30 bucks. So you, if you come up with 55 bucks, uh, they're yours, um, which I did. And I remember that story distinctly because I worked for, I'm, I was lifeguarding at the time and I saved up some money and bought the shoes with my parents and it, it, it uh, affected me. So have them contribute to purchases. All right. Ocho. Number eight, get them in a savings habit. Um, I'm just going to zip through these. Talk about your saving. 
So describe the vacation or the car or the house and say things to them like saving is a great habit. Say to them, I love to save. As you're sharing more with them, you, you need to say things like it feels good to save money and build our future as a family. That's why we're saving money. That when they talk about where am I going to go to fifth grade? And you think, well, whatever that, th- whereas homeschooling, there's a Christian school, something we're saving money. We're considering your future. That's why we're saving. So we don't spend all the money that we make. Um, th- uh, I hope this sounds no duh to the people listening to this, but give your kids a piggy bank and have them save for something small and tangible. Even saving something th- this week and buying something next week with that money that was saved will teach them something about putting you're putting off that gratification and you're saving something right now for something that you're going to buy later. Just that alone would be great. So piggy bank, yes. And then after the piggy bank, you go to a bigger goal. You physically go into a bank with your kids. I would encourage this to be a cash transaction as well. Physically go with your kids into a bank with cash. So $200 bills. And you go in there and you set up an account for your kid and they see you handing over two $100 bills and you get back a receipt that says the bank now has your money. Your money is going to grow. Oh my word, how slow is it going to grow? But it's going to grow in the bank. And this sheet of paper says that they have our money. And that that's helpful for getting your uh, kid into a savings habit. And, and I, I'll throw out green light and FAMZU again and the bank of dad that you can make happen there. All right, that's saving. Nueve. Giving can be done in three avenues. One, it could be done according to the family vision, which should be taught to your family. So I'm thinking of my children's money, not, not, our, not my money, my children's money. They can give in line with the family vision. They can also give according to um, ad hoc passions that they come up with. My kids saw a donation box at a bread store that we go to that said giving to uh, to take care of pets. And my kids were like, well, what do they mean taking care of pets? Well, you know, people don't want their dogs anymore, and these people will take care of them, make sure they get to good homes. Well, I like that. I want to give money to that. Well, get, keep that on your mind. And when giving comes around, we can come back here, and you can put some of your giving money here. Just a resource I'll throw out um, for folks is charitynavigator.org. Charitynavigator.org will show you what are the highly rated charity organizations. So that can be a kind of a shopping list to look through and see what, what sparks the interest of your kid. That's one way, their ad hoc passions. And another, another thing was that you could talk to your, um, you could talk to about your child about their personal vision statement, if you'll, if you'll allow that, you know, what are, what are the things God has gifted you with? What's kind of the story of your life in our family? And what are the things that you want to make happen with your money in your lifetime? Well, let's start giving to those things. And if it's, well, we, we believe in Bibles and you want to give to the Bible league. Well, then I, I know from experience, having done it myself, the Bible league will not turn its nose up at a $10 donation. They would love that. So if you, you put, you know, a $10 bill, cash is helpful for, the, for a learner, put it in an envelope, write Bible League on the front, send that away as a donation to them. That'd be great for your, for your kid. Um, and and kind of like what I was saying about savings, to talk your kids through these moves and f- 
for you to form their emotional attitudes about these things is really good to say something like, man, that feels good knowing that we are doing just what God wants us to do as a family. And it feels great to know that you saw that giving box for the pets and then you guys saved up for six months and now we're giving that money. That's, that's, that feels great to be able to do that. So I, I just, I, I throw that, I think we said this already, but letting kids do spontaneous giving is good too. Um, when, when we're with somebody, we're, we're at a coffee shop, I'll, I'll lean over to my kids and say, I feel like we should just buy all of their stuff for them. What do you think? And, you know, that kid t- typically goes, I think that's a great idea. So just involving them in spontaneous giving and then letting them take the lead sometimes with spontaneous giving too is a good thing. All right, I got I got two more things. How are you doing? I'm good. I think did we talk about YouTube YouTubers already? No, no. So our kids, if I like have five minutes, we we don't do a whole lot of like let's sit down and watch a whole show together. But there's some YouTube channels that we will occasionally flip on, and okay, I'll, one thing that some of these YouTubers have figured out is if they give away stuff. It's uh, yes. it draws tons of of views, and they can afford to give away yes. more stuff. And then it's it's smart. But our kids love to turn on when the YouTubers just are like, "We're gonna give, we're gonna drive through drive throughs, and we're gonna tip a hundred bucks, or we're going to ask people for a dollar." And then if they say yes and give us a dollar, we're gonna give them back a hundred. Like it and. It's pretty fun because when when you these aren't like spiritual people that are giving yeah. money, but just to see that like giving is really fun, and you watch these videos and you're like, man, that what if we could do that? I'm like, we could, we right. could give away a one hundred dollar bill and it would blow someone's mind. So true. I don't know if we get in an Uber, it's like, can I talk to this Uber driver and maybe get their story and maybe there's a chance to give and it's just it's just another trick for a kind of like building a culture of little kids that have their antenna up for generosity yes. opportunities is to show them some crazy stuff and get them fired up and say, we might not be able to give away a car right now, but we could give away $20 to somebody who might be expecting a $1 tip yes. when they make our coffee, yes. whatever. Yeah, that's great. Yes. Home stretch here at age 12 to 14. I think in that window, sit your child down and walk them through a month of your family budget. You don't have to go the, the you know, com- completely granular, but let them see the big shape of things. Let them see what your mortgage costs. Let them see how much you spend on gas in a month, et cetera. Um, I would, my coaching on this, I mentioned this before, would be to start with family vision. Did I mention, Mark, that we have a course on developing your own family vision. If you don't know how to come up with that, that we can help walk your family through how to come up with family vision. Where would somebody find that course if they wanted to come up with a family vision and then give based on that vision? Great question, Mark. Thank you for asking. I would go to outpostacademy.net and that's where I would find that, that course on developing a family vision. But I'll just say, start with your family vision with your child and then let them see how the budget that you have serves that family vision, including where your giving goes, 
including how much you're investing and you could share with them what you're investing for. So that moment needs to happen somewhere in, you know, with your ad, your adolescent kid, your, your, uh, 12 to 14, 15 year old kid at some point that should be shared with a kid. Did your dad do that with you, Mark? Um, no, 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 but never share with you the family vision. I, I <laughs> met up with a guy yesterday. We didn't have a family vision, but well, I'm sorry. Budget. I meant family budget. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Last thing. Number 11, yes. investing. I know you wanted to say something that may be about investing, but I, uh, in my, in my research that I was doing, I found this app called busy kid. So busy kid is an app that lets kids buy stocks directly from their bank account. So there's a little bit of a watch out here. So the, the, the good thing is kind of like using cash up front. The good thing is that your kid could have a, a stock, a, a, you know, one share of stock in Disney or Netflix or what gap, whatever their, whatever would feel applicable to them. And they get to feel a part of the business scene. They have ownership in this thing. And you could say with your kids, Oh, look, Disney is rolling out this new product. I wonder what that'll do to your stock price. So that's kind of exciting. And they feel the ownership of, Oh, I've, I've got, uh, I've got a share of stock and we, we can watch what happens with it. Um, now my, my, <laughs> My watch out is we don't want to encourage a lifetime of stock picking with kids, but if they own individual stocks, then that could help them get their brain around, say, having an index, having a share of an index fund later on, because they would, they would know, oh, it's a big pot of all of these things. Um, and I just think that can be a helpful tool for, for kids to, again, we're talking about financial literacy, financial training. How do I expose them to something, um, and, and get their, get their hands dirty with regards to investing. So, uh, they get to feel the ownership of holding individual stocks. So that's busy kid. Yeah. What were you going to say about that? It, it blew my little kids' minds when, they found out about stocks. They were like, so you can own all these. And we would just be driving in the car. Dad, do we own some McDonald's? Yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. Dad, do we, do we own, uh, uh, Exxon, the gas station? Yeah, we, we own that too. Uh, <laughs> it's like this exciting, oh my goodness. Uh, yes. and, and they're thinking like, let's walk in there and see if we could fire somebody or something. Let, let's, yes. Let's uh, throw our weight around a little bit here. But I think that there was a couple things that, that happened in my family that helped me learn about stocks when I was a little older. I don't think these are appropriate for really little kids. You know, even now as a, as a financial advisor, I have clients who will go through their, their portfolios and stuff and we're making recommendations and tweaks. I'm like, why do you have one share of this? And it's like, oh, my grandma bought me that when I was 10. She bought me yeah. a share of something different each year. Um, I think the modern equivalent, my mother-in-law for, uh, for Christmas last year bought all her grandkids uh, some Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, 
that's a cool thing to do is to start exposing them to ownership of different assets that way. But, um, when your kids get a little older and they, maybe they've heard of stocks and they think, I think I might be able to, to pick a winner here. Um, there, there used to be a tool called, uh, marketocracy. So it was like stock market and, a, a meritocracy. And okay. it was this, this website where you signed up for an account and you could virtually portfolio manage. Everyone started with a pretend million dollars. Um, and you got to trade, you could buy anything on the market. You could buy stocks and bonds and kind of trade assets. And if you were good enough, the winners for each quarter, they actually used their recommendations to create a real mutual fund. (laughs) Now, the problem is this became a massive issue with the SEC where there was insiders just putting all their money in the company uh, they worked for and using it to communicate non-material or non-public material information. <laughs> um, so right. that had to get shut down. But it was really good for me because <laughs> I had the experience that most people will have if they decide to start picking stocks, which is for a few weeks there, I was like, I am... I'm in the top 2% in the United States. I am killing yeah. it. And I was reading, you know, financial websites at the time. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I'm going to go, you know, get me some of that. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to even think what the the tech companies. What was hot? The tech companies yeah. in the late 90s were like, uh, w- you know, we've made a three times faster floppy disk than the old floppy disk. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, Juno. Dial up. Yeah. Um, but eventually what would happen is that you would say, well, I just, if I double the size of my bet every time I'm going to win. And then eventually, of course I busted and yeah. that's a good experience to have. There is a tool that without the, uh, will make you into a real life portfolio manager, uh, offers the same type of virtual trading environment. So there's a financial, uh, education website called Investopedia and they have a stock market simulator now where you can do the same thing. So it's not gonna, it's not gonna turn you into a, an actual portfolio manager if you win. But if you wanted to get your kids kind of convinced that they're not actually the next Warren Buffett without uh, having to put their money in a bunch of weird stocks. Just tell them, hey, if you can beat the market for a few years in a row, then we'll talk about your your day trading habit. Um, And it's pretty cool because they they build in, you know, fees. A lot of people on those stock simulators and things, they don't think about the fact that every time you make a trade, you have to pay fees. and yeah, it's better than waiting until they get to college and they get a Robin Hood account and they put it all on black and lose it. So I think that those yeah. games, that's kind of like the the next level of games once the kids are past the, the board game phase where if they really want to learn more about trading and stocks and things like that, um, an app like that could be a good tool. Yeah. Do you guys have payday at home? We don't. Okay. Might be getting that for you for Christmas. Okay. So I'm just going to end as we began the series just by saying once again, I just want to reinforce educating your children about money is a decades long process. Okay. But it will set the wheels of your multi-generational legacy in motion. 
So if you have a, if you have a vision that's multi-generational and that you're thinking a, a righteous man leaves um, money for his children's children, well then, duh, we really care about the generation in between. And I really care that, that the money that we're putting aside and we're trying to build for the generations uh, is not only stewarded, but is multiplied. And so we want to superpower our finances and every other capital with regards to our, our multi-generational vision. Um, that course is coming, the one where you get to develop a multi-generational vision. I can't imagine somebody who is a serious Christian family leader that isn't also interested in how do we make our children's wise, biblically literate, and give them practical tools so that they can be uh, great stewards with money and multipliers of money the way that we're commanded to be in Scripture. So do this, everyone. I don't. I know I had a. I don't know. I had a list of eleven, but there's probably twenty, thirty tips that we gave you today just do some of them yeah just don't be in that small group of people where the kid is longing for instruction and the parents are are nervous about giving it just engage with your children somewhere we're trying to give you a vast menu of options so that you can pick the ones that could be a winner for you and just get the ball moving in your home yeah that's that's the the key is don't be overwhelmed it's just like when we've talked about Shabbat, like if you just do one thing and start there, that's great. Here, here. Action is better than thinking about lots of great ideas and doing none of them. That's right. All right, go get it, you family leaders. Train your children to be financially wise, and we'll see you next time on Abraham's Wallet. Abraham's Wallet.